Good morning. Back in our Bible study on spiritual gifts, let's turn to Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So although these gifts complement each other, these gifts are not the same. They are different gifts. They do accomplish different things. Uh, another passage of Scripture refers to the, the church as the body of Christ and how when one part suffers, all suffer. When one part does well, the whole body uh, finds success. And that's in more ways than one. That's emotionally, that's spiritually, but that's also in the gifts, that when, when one body, part of the body is, is using their gift in a manner that brings glory to God, the whole body benefits. And when one part of the body or a member of the church is, is not using their gift, the, the body suffers. So these gifts are different. We find prophecy, verse 7, ministry, teaching, verse 8, exhortation, giving, and ruling, and then mercy uh, as well in verse 8. And so we're going to be looking at these uh, particular gifts. Last time we were together, we talked about ministry, helps, and serving is mentioned in other passages of Scripture. It is the same gift. And then we discussed exhortation or the encouragement of each other, encouragement, uh, not just patting someone on the back and giving them a hug and saying, hey, you know, my gift is hugging, you know, my gift is you know, back-slapping. My gift is hand-shaking. Uh, well, that is definitely nice, and I would imagine someone who has the gift of exhortation that they would include some form of emotional support through, you know, what is appropriate physical contact. In the first century, what was appropriate was a kiss on the cheek. But the Apostle Paul stated in that culture, if you're going to do it, make sure you kiss on the cheek as is appropriate for members of family. Don't be turning it into something other than that. Uh, kiss your, kiss your, you want another with a holy kiss, uh, a family kiss, not, a, not a, a, a romantic kiss alluding to some ulterior motive. And hugging can be the same way. Of course, there are inappropriate hugs and appropriate hugs. And so we as believers in the 21st century church, nothing wrong with appropriate physical contact. And uh, you'll know. You'll feel a little awkward, and so will the other person. So then adjust your strategy next time. But the Bible goes on to say, uh, about these other gifts, giving and mercy. And I'd like to talk about giving today. Giving is a very interesting gift because giving is one of those gifts where you see almost um, visual fruit in a way that other gifts don't really benefit from. So exhortation, the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement. If you have that gift, you encourage people. You can see them encouraged for a moment. You can, you can say, hey, uh, keep doing right. Keep making good choices. You're, 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 you're needing to redirect here. Uh, let me give you some advice on, on how to come back to God. Exhortation is not just good job, thumbs up. Exhortation is encouragement or redirection to Christ. That is a difficult gift to see fruit because someone could be encouraged, exhorted, redirected. They come back next Sunday and their life's a mess again. <laughs> And someone with the gift of exhortation, they could almost feel like they're constantly picking up the pieces of a broken puzzle, like the never-ending missing pieces, or, you know, finding them, helping you put it back together again. Uh, it, it can be discouraging to have that gift. The gift of ministry helps in serving, you know, if you're, if you're assisting the church and if you're assisting people, it's, it can be difficult because although you can see the benefit of your work, there's always more to do. <laughs> 
And uh, someone with that kind of gift probably isn't seeing so much what they accomplished as they are what they need to accomplish next. That's kind of, unfortunately, how it ends up. But the, someone who's the gift of giving, you know what they see? They see the church finances going up, 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 up. They see how money is spent. They're, someone with the gift of giving pays very close attention to that usually because they want to make sure that their giving is used appropriately. And so there can be a lot of um, positives in the life of someone with the gift of giving, when they're in a church who handles the finances well. There could be a lot of discouragement, if not downright anger, in the life of someone who has the gift of giving if they're in a church who handles the finances poorly. I have found also that those with the gift of giving aren't necessarily the most humble people in the world. I am not stating that everyone with with that gift is prideful, any of these gifts can include pride, teachers, pastors. We've, we've known plenty of those, right? I am stating that this gift, when attached to a prideful uh, character trait, can do a lot of damage in the church. Because someone who is prideful and has the gift of giving is probably going to give a lot, but in their pride, expect a lot in return. They're going to expect that the pastor would follow their demands that the church would somehow elevate them to a level of leadership, not because of their spiritual maturity, not because of their experience, not because of their godliness. They should be elevated because without me, if I took my money with me, you guys are going to shut down. Pride. They think that they are the ones keeping the church afloat rather than God using them. My philosophy of finances in this church eliminates that possibility. I don't know who gives in this church. I don't look at who gives in this church. So there's no way that someone who gives more than others could use their giving ability to in any way control me or the members of this church. They could state, they could start telling people that they give a lot, but there's no way for anyone to know other than the bookkeeper, and he's not telling anyone. She's not telling anyone. Abby and Sam and Tanino, they're, they're not going to pass that information on. So there's no way for someone who has that gift to control the church. But i got to tell you, there's a lot of control going on in a lot of churches today by people who have the spiritual gift of giving but are using it for personal gain, authority, power, oversight. And, uh, yeah, Maddie says just like politics. There are a lot of churches, that's right, they're very politicized. So, praise the Lord for people who have this gift. And you know what, for me as a pastor, doubly praise the Lord for people who have this gift in humility. By the way, I mean, praise the Lord for any gifts used in humility. But this one specifically, I think that there's a few gifts that, that can do more damage than others when paired with pride. All of them can, but some I think think more than others. And pastors is one of them. When the pastor is filled with pride, the, the amount of damage that can be done to a church just cannot be seen this side of heaven. There will be people that will walk away with damaged hearts, damaged souls uh, that they'll carry with them for years, if not decades. I think that giving is another one. When paired with pride, the damage that can be done and, and how business meetings go and, and behind-the-scene conversations that, that people would have, and they feel like they, they uh, have the right to have that conversation because they're a giver. Now, here's what else I found about spiritual gifts. 
If you're not careful, you will judge others through your spiritual gift. Let me, let me explain. The pastor can judge others who are just members, you might say, as lesser Christians because they're not called full-time to ministry. And you'll, you'll kind of sense that by the way they talk to members and about members and the way they treat themselves and, and talk about other pastors, that you are subpar if you're not a pastor. There are those that are teachers who treat learners as lesser human beings. Somehow they have been elevated to a higher plane of understanding, and and they are better humans, if not better Christians, because we have a deeper understanding of God's Word, and you are just the lowly uh, peon. You're the lowly learner. So just do your job and listen to us elevated higher beings as we teach you profound truths. Those who are the helpers, they will go to the church help workday, and they will notice all the people that aren't there that day. Those who are the servers will show up early and sweep, and they will notice, I'm the only one sweeping today. They'll judge others by their gift. This is what I do. Wow, someone's not as good as me because they don't do this. And then, of course, we'll skip exhortation. You can see how the same thing could be said about every gift. Let's get to giving. The givers will often judge others through their gift. It's hard to know sometimes who has the gift of giving, especially me as a pastor who doesn't know who gives. But I can tell you, there is a danger in placing those with the spiritual gift of giving paired with pride as your bookkeepers. <laughs> because now you are opening up the books to them. And, I, and I've experienced this firsthand, not in this church. This was not even in church in, in my last church, Virginia. This was some years ago. I was in a church where the bookkeeper had the spiritual gift of giving. We were a small church, and it was very evident from the conversations. I was not uh, a pastor at that time. I was the youth leader at that time, and so I didn't really have much say. But it's very obvious that the bookkeeper was, a, was the giver and had a spiritual gift of giving and was prideful in their giving and believed that in some way their authority stemmed from how much money they gave in that small church. And I remember very specifically, very vividly, that when this person first came to our church, they were happy and joyful, and they loved the church, and they, would, they could not say enough good about that church and the direction the church was going and what the church was accomplishing. Well, the church had a need for a bookkeeper, and this person volunteered because they were good with money and were given that position. And their demeanor changed very rapidly. Within a month, <laughs> the joy was gone. The, the smile, the good things that they had to say about the ministry and the direction of it, gone. In fact, it got so bad where before they were bookkeeper, we were, we were pretty good friends. I mean, he was an older man. I was a younger guy, but he treated me well, treated me with respect. He appreciated my love for teenagers and my desire to help them. He was very good to me, very kind to me. After he became bookkeeper, that changed I didn't change. I was still doing what I always did. He changed. And I thought, wow, this is odd. I was only about 24 at the time, but I started connecting the dots, and I realized, you know what? This man is a giver, and he thinks I'm not. I'll tell you what, what was going on in my life at that time. My wife and I were uh, working for that church free of charge. They were not paying us a dime. 
We had, I had a, a, a job. I was, uh, uh, owned my own business. I was a sales rep, commission only. When I sold something, I made something. When I didn't sell something, I made nothing. It, you know, my wife and I were living in an apartment that was 250 a month for two people. The cost of food was about 75 uh, every two weeks. I mean, it didn't cost much to stay alive at that point in our life. We were pretty happy. We were happy, you know, rubbing two pennies together and, and having me have my own business. I had never intended for it to go far. I wasn't trying to grow my company. It was purely just a, a means to an end, just to bring money in. And I had a new wife. We were newly married, and I enjoyed the freedom that owning my own company gave. So I wasn't working long hours to get rich. I was working enough to pay the bills and spend time with my, my new bride. But having said that, there were some months I remember we brought in some months less than 500 in a month in our early parts of our life. Yes. Uh, that we, again, 250 a month for rent. Uh, we had a car that you know, we didn't use very often because I worked from home. We just drove it to church and back pretty much. And food, the utilities was like all of $50 a month. So uh, we could get by. 500 a month, we could get by. But guess how much we gave tithes then? I gave 50 bucks a month. <laughs> and some months a little less and some months a little more. And I guarantee you this man thought, wow, the youth pastor sure is stingy. Well, I never opened up my books to him. I never told him my story. He didn't know my finances. He didn't know what I was living off of. But once he started mistreating me, I, I, it was hard for me. I was only about 24. This guy was easily 50-something, a very um, professional, successful businessman. And I said, okay, can we talk? This is after a service one time. He was sitting in, in the office uh, doing his thing. And I said, can we talk? He said, sure. I said, look, I know, I know what you think about me. I know that you think that I'm not giving, that I'm not tithing. He didn't respond. He just looked at me. He didn't say, no, 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 you're wrong, Russ. His, he, he just stared at me. And that was confirmation. <laughs> and I said, I want to tell you a little bit about me. I said, first of all, uh, I told him what I just told you. I told him my income. I told him my, my expenses. And I said, so we don't give much because not much comes in. I said, second of all, when I do give, because it's so little, I just drop. I mean, it's 50 a month, guys. I was dropping like, you know, 10 a week, 15 a week. So I said, it's just cash. I just drop cash in. I said, if you're seeing cash, it's probably mine. So I said, you probably don't think I'm giving anything because you don't see checks from me. At that, at that amount, I'm not writing a check for 10 bucks, 15 bucks. I said, so you, I'm just dropping cash. So I said, you're thinking I'm not giving, but I want to tell you I am. And I'm giving at least 10%, if not a little more, but that doesn't seem like a lot to you. After that conversation, things got a little better. I don't know if you truly believed me, but it did help a little bit. And I learned at a very young age how dangerous it is for people to judge each other through their gifts, especially when they don't have all the facts. And so as a pastor, I've done my best not to repeat that problem in this church allowing someone to oversee the books who in some way thinks it's appropriate to judge others through giving because you don't know their story. You don't know what they're giving. You say, I can see what they're giving. I see the checks. Maybe they're dropping cash. You don't know. And uh, the gift of giving can be a very blessed gift to have because you can see the results of it. You can see the church grow, and you can see the finances when the church does well with the finances. You can see how the church uses the finances, and you can, you can be blessed in knowing that your gift is being used to further the ministry. But it can also bring great discouragement if you let pride control that gift, and you start looking at others saying, are they giving as much as they should? Are they giving as much as me? What would happen if I walked away? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people have thought that over the 10 years I've been here. 
and we're still here. <laughs> All right? A lot of people have thought that. They've thought, well, look, you guys, you know, I, in fact, remember someone saying that, basically. They're saying, we're very concerned for your finances. We don't think you'll survive. Basically, like, if we leave, you're not going to make it. They left, and we're making it. We're okay. God, this is God's church, God's ministry. It's not mine. It's God's. And it will shut down when God wants it to shut down. And if, if a giver, if someone who has the gift of giving walks away, I personally wouldn't know unless they tell me, even that I wouldn't know if that's true. But I'm not worried about it. God will bring someone else. God will bring someone else to fill that gap. Okay, let's move on to the next gift, the gift of mercy. We're in Romans chapter 12. And if you look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 8, you'll find, He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. There are those who give mercy begrudgingly. Have you, have you met those people? Are you related to one of those people? Like, they'll forgive you, but boy, it's like pulling teeth to get forgiveness from them. Like, even after they forgive you, it's like they still give you the silent treatment. I thought you forgave me. I did. Just give me some time. You know, like, like they just, they need to, they need like days to really, you know, get over the fact that they've forgiven you. Is that really true forgiveness? And is it forgiveness as, and is it mercy as verse 8 says, cheerfulness with cheer? I want to forgive you. Forgiveness is a difficult thing to do. Mercy is essentially forgiveness. Forgiveness is a form of mercy. There's other forms of mercy. Forgiveness is, is one of the most common ones. It is where you are um, withholding something from someone that they deserve, you know, judgment in some manner. It, mercy can be forgiveness. Mercy can also be not judging someone who's begging to be judged. I mean, they're just making bad decisions all over the place. They're making a fool of themselves. I mean, they're begging for you to talk about them. They're begging for you to gossip about them because of the way they live their public lifestyle. And then they're all shocked. You know, they put on social media all, these, all this junk, and then they're shocked that people are looking at it and shocked that people are showing it to each other. Like, when you put it on social media, man, maybe you shouldn't do that. But mercy can be displayed by, you know what, they're basically begging to be judged, but, but I'm not going to. I, there's no need. There's no, there, there's no benefit from me having a public discussion about this person's life, even though they're basically shoving it in everyone's, in everyone's face. I'm not going to. That's a form of mercy. But the most common is forgiveness. You know why it's so hard for us to forgive? There's more than one reason. One, if you need to forgive someone, it's because they've hurt you. It is hard to forgive when you're hurt. By the way, it's hard to give when you're hurt, when you think the church is misusing finances and you're, you're hurt personally by the mishandling of finances, it's hard to give. It's hard to encourage, even if that is your gift, hard to exhort when you're hurt. It's hard to serve when you're hurt. You know, someone comes in and sweeps the floor. Uh, the pastor shows up an hour later. That person's been there for an hour cleaning up, but the pastor says, hey, you missed the spot. What's the deal? Come on, man. Get with the program. Come pick this up. <laughs> It's hard to come back next Sunday. I'm not even saying you would or should. I'm just saying. It's hard to do any of these gifts when you're hurt. It's hard to be a pastor when you're hurt. The gift of pastoring, it's hard. A lot of pastors are hurting today, this morning, Sunday. A lot of pastors are walking to their church brokenhearted, hurting. And they're trying to, to lead God's people and to impart truth. But they're in pain. They're hurting. And I believe that it's natural to struggle with the gifts of the Spirit when you're hurt, which is why 
You need to find healing <laughs> so I can be the kind of pastor I need to be. So you can be the, the servant, the helper, the giver, the encourager. So you can be the one who shows mercy in a godly way. Because if you are hurting, all of these gifts are tainted, if not outright ignored. Because all you can focus on is your pain. It's hard to forgive when you're hurt. And this is the hardest one because mercy is essentially attached to being hurt. I mean, you're basically being called to get hurt, but to show forgiveness anyways. That's like your calling if that's your gift. And so you better know how to find healing. If your gift is the gift of mercy, if you are a naturally merciful person, you better know the biblical steps towards healing. And you know what I found in life? Most Christians don't. In my experience, and it is limited, most Christians don't understand how to find true healing. They, they know how to find temporary euphoria, come to a service in some way, connect with the worship and the singing where they just feel overwhelmed, tears flooding down their face, go back home, it wears off, and they're back to their hurt again. It's basically like you got drunk at church. Yeah, for a moment, alcohol will eliminate for you all your problems. Drugs will eliminate all your problems. And for some people, that's essentially all the worship is service is to them. It's a euphoria. It's a drug. They're not actually finding healing at church. They're finding a temporary erasing of the pain. <laughs> because if, if, if when you went and joined the church in worship, if you found true healing, you wouldn't be in pain when you went back home. But if pain is still waiting for you back home then you didn't really connect with God on a healing level. And that's why some people church hop. Because like drugs, you do it too many times, it wears off. You've got to take the higher drug. You've got to take the bigger drug. It, it, you know, it's been said there are certain drugs that are kind of gateway to the really intense ones, marijuana being one of them. It kind of opens the door. Because marijuana, from my understanding, from my research, from my study, and I have read on this, is that you know, it, at, at first use, it does affect your body. But the longer you use it, the body gets used to it. you got to use something a little more intense. If, that's, if you're looking for your senses to be deadened, then you got to find something more intense because your body gets used to it. Same thing with people who are looking for the drug of worship at church. Eventually, the euphoria will wear off at that church. They'll have to go to a new church with new experiences to get that euphoria again. And that's all they're looking for is the euphoria because they're in pain. And they call it healing and they say, oh, man, you know, that's sad. I love this church. You know, I've found healing here. I'm just not finding it. i got to go somewhere else now. No, you never found healing. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be healed by now. So a lot of Christians don't know what healing is. They mislabel it. A lot of Christians, I think, don't even think healing's possible. I think there are quite a few Christians who have lived in pain for so many years, if not decades, they don't think that it is humanly, spiritually, biblically possible to be healed from their emotional, spiritual pain. That just breaks my heart. I, I, I'm very disturbed by the kind of churches they're going to if they don't believe healing is possible. Like, what is being preached there? That you have not found it and you don't think it exists. Healing is possible. You know what's interesting? I love, and I stated this, mercy is a difficult gift because it is the, it is the gift attached to being hurt. You're going to be hurt, and you're going to show mercy. But mercy is a great gift because it kind of almost answers its own problem. 
If mercy is the gift of, of a strong spiritual ability to forgive those who've hurt you, uh, I believe that those with mercy are more likely and easier to find healing to give mercy. That basically God is stating, I'm going to give you a tough life working with difficult people who are going to do a lot of pain to you, but I'm going to give you the gift of mercy so you can handle it better than most. But that's, here's the thing. The gifts of the Spirit work best when you are connected with the Holy Spirit. When you are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, you may have that gift, but it's kind of a dysfunctional gift. It's not working like it should. It's there, but not really in use. It's kind of like the basketball player who has a natural ability, but if they miss practice and show up at a game, yeah, you can see the natural ability play is coming up, but they're going to make stupid mistakes. They're going to dribble. It's going to bounce off their foot. The ball's going to get stolen from them. They're going to be like, oh, man, I know I'm a better dribble. Yeah, you are, but you've been missing practice for two weeks. I have a, a player on our team this last year who uh, missed an entire year from the pandemic, didn't, didn't come to school, um, stayed at home, and didn't play basketball. They are a natural basketball player and a very good one. And at eighth grade, this basketball player um, was, I'm sorry, seventh grade, this basketball player was a better player than he was this year at ninth grade. You know why? Because he missed a year. A whole year off, disconnected from the game. When he came back, he was making amateur mistakes. And he knew it. It was, it was frustrating him. You know, after a year, finally at the end of the year, this year's season, he was doing a lot better because he was back in the game again. But it took him a whole year to get back there. Same thing with Christianity and the spiritual gifts. If you're disconnected from the Holy Spirit, you got the gift, you'll, you'll be able to function somewhat, but you're going to make a lot of dumb choices, dumb mistakes, and it's going to affect you. And mercy is one of them. If you're disconnected from the Spirit, yes, you can give mercy, you can take pain a little better, and maybe handle a little better, and find healing a little quicker, but not as good as when you're connected with the Holy Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit. So we were talking about finding healing. How do you find healing? Well, you don't find healing in a euphoric worship experience. Worship is not about you finding euphoria. Worship is not even really about you finding healing. Worship is about the glory of God. So we are looking for it in the wrong place is the first problem. Right? You don't take, um, you don't take Pepto-Bismol for a headache. So there's just certain medicines that work for certain things and are, had certain purposes, and you need to figure out what they are. The worship service is about Christ, not you. So if you're coming to the worship service to find healing, you're looking in the wrong place. Where should you find it? You find it in truth. Truth. Where God's word states, the Holy Spirit is the God of all comfort. So find it in the Holy Spirit, connection with him. Where God states that um, he gives you the peace that passes all understanding. Again, a connection with God. But it is truth, application of it, knowing it and following it, that will bring healing. You know what I find? The people who are living in deep pain are lacking truth. I'm not saying they don't know the word of God. But that's why there's counseling, by the way. Counseling is to open up your heart and mind to truth you've been missing so you can find healing. And then once that truth is discovered, the counseling is no longer necessary. You should be able to walk away from counseling and say, that's what I've been looking for. I did not know that. Now that I know that, I can find healing and I can walk away. I was just speaking with someone uh, some time ago, and, and uh, we were talking. They were, they were going through some struggles. They were in pain. They don't go to our church. This person doesn't attend Meriden Hills. They don't go to our school either. 
So this person was struggling. We were talking, and, and I brought up some scripture. And they said, you know what, Russ? I knew that, but I never really thought of it in the way you just said. He said, and this person said, that's a game changer. Wow. Like, I never really considered it from that angle. And I checked on them afterwards, and I said, how you doing? And they said, so much better. I didn't, I didn't heal that person. I didn't put oil on their head and put my hands on them and, you know, and say, you're healed, you know, from the pain. It wasn't physical. It was emotional, spiritual, attached to spiritual pain. I didn't do that. I just, I brought truth to them and said, have you considered this truth? And you know what? They had not. Once the truth was brought to them, once they applied it, I, I, I talked to them uh, sometime later, and they said, I'm doing so much better. That just, that totally changed everything. Truth heals. Knowing it and following it. And I find that a lot of people who are hurting and living in pain are probably going to churches where they're not hearing truth and they're not able to apply because they don't know it and they're looking for it in the euphoria of a worship service and they get it for about 30 minutes, an hour, two hours tops, if it's a long one, and then the pain comes back and that's just the vicious cycle that they're living in. What a shame. So if you want to forgive others, if you want to be merciful, you must find healing and you will find it in Christ the Holy Spirit, God the Father, yes, a connection with the Trinity, but yes, you will also find it in knowing and following truth. And when you know and follow truth, you will find healing, and that allows you to be merciful with cheerfulness. This gift, I think, also has a lot of great blessings attached to it. The Bible says that those who are merciful will receive mercy. And uh, I believe that sincerely, that God has been very merciful to me because I have, str- I have tried to be very merciful to others. Now, we're going to stop here and talk about the gifts in general because we have a lot more to discuss, but I want to, just, I want to, I want to cover something for you. First of all, I stated at the beginning of this Bible study that you probably have more than one gift. The Bible refers to gifts, plural, that it seems definitely some, some have more than one. I think most, if not all, have more than one gift. And it's also possible that your gifts could change. If God gave it to you, God might replace it. God's word never says he will. God's word never says he won't. But I could see that being the case. It's a possibility. Whereas the need arises, God may impart upon you a gift you didn't have previously and maybe replace it or add to it. Possibility. That's just an opinion. But I will say this. Just because you don't have the gift doesn't mean you're off the hook. Give, those with the gift of giving aren't the only ones that should give in the church. It just means it's going to be easier for them to give. It probably means they'll give more than others because it's so easy. And it probably means, I believe, if God's given you the gift of healing, God's going to probably give you and attach to you uh, what you need to accomplish that gift. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone. I, I think I've seen it in a lot of people's lives that those who have the gift of giving are often uh, pr- doing pretty well financially. Not all, but a lot of times that is the case. They're not bankrupt. They're not, you know, drowning in debt. Now, I'm not saying always. I think I've met some that I think I've been suspicious. You probably have the gift of giving, but you just are really bad with finances. <laughs> so it does happen, obviously. But I, I just find that those with the gift of giving are often really smart with money, and so their own personal finances are doing well. And they're able to give more because they're smart with money. I found that. I have found that um, those who have the, the gift of um, service, that those who have the, the gift of, of helping and ministry, that they are usually fairly talented people and pretty hard workers. 
that not only did God give them the talent, or I'm sorry, the ability and the desire to help, God's often attached to them uh, just the work ethic and, and uh, the drive and, the, the, and, and sometimes, a lot of times, abilities above and beyond what you'd expect to be able to be a helper in the church in whatever way that God's called them. So I do believe that God has called us to certain gifts, and I believe that often attaches other things to us so that we can do those gifts better. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still help even though we don't have the gift of helps, that we shouldn't give even though we don't have the gift of giving, or that we shouldn't, you know, in some way teach. If we're parents, we need to teach our kids. If we don't have kids, in, in another way, we teach people in general by the way we live our lives or just in conversations. We can bring up a lesson in a conversation. Doesn't mean you can't do these things because you lack the gift. It just means you, won't, you probably will not be doing them as easily or as well as someone with the gift. That's what it means. I've said it before. I've got basketball players on my team who aren't gifted, but they still play and can still play a lot. And then I've got basketball players who are gifted, and they're usually my starters. My starters are usually the gifted players. My bench are usually the not gifted, but they still get playing time because they put in the work, and they can still be on the team. And so in, 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 in a pastoral sense, you know what I try to put as the starters, you might say, are the gifted ones. If, if you're teaching a Sunday school life group, I'm going to try to choose someone who has the gift of teaching. You're my starter, Right? But it doesn't mean that someone can't sub and be there when, when the starter's not there just because, well, I don't have the gift. Well, don't worry. You're not a starter. I just need someone to sub for me today. Okay, I need someone to step in and do the work for a day. Well, I can't go to the church work day. I'm not, I don't have the gift of helps. Look, we're, you, you're not on the front lines here. I don't have you coming in every week. Uh, we're just asking for one day of the year when you come in and do some work. On one day, just come in and sub for us, right? And yet so many people, I think that's their excuse. Well, I don't have that gift, so I don't do that. Well, I, don't ha- I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't have to give. I don't let someone else do that. I don't have the gift of teaching, so in no way should I ever be involved in a lesson plan or talking to kids or talking to other adults about truth. Oh, I don't have the gift of help, so I should never show up for any kind of service to the church. We as Christians need to recognize this important truth. The book of Galatians tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. And did you recognize that if you know the fruit of the Spirit, some of them are closely attached to the gifts of the Spirit? Have you noticed that? That some of the fruit are actually the gifts, and others kind of enhance the gifts and are attached or uh, connected in some way. Here's what I believe. The closer you draw to Christ, the more you will evidence the fruit of the Spirit which allows, essentially, which allows you to be functional in all aspects of Christianity. I'm not saying you're a starter. I'm not saying that, that you excel in all aspects. I'm saying you're functional in them at the least. Functional. That you can give and do give. You can work and do work. You can teach and do teach. If not on a class level, at least on a one-on-one level. You can take the word of God and impart it on someone else. You can give some lessons. You can show mercy. You can pastor, not in the sense of, you know, uh, the position, but pastor in the heart sense of, of you can shepherd the hearts of others and you can draw them to Christ. You can be an encourager, not because you have the gift, but because you have the fruit of the Spirit. So if a Christian has humbled themselves and has connection with the Holy Spirit, I believe you will find it will be harder 
to point out what are their gifts. Because they are. Are they a giver? Well, yeah, they give. Okay, maybe they're a giver. Uh, they're an encourager? Man, they are so encouraging. Maybe they're an encourager. Are they a teacher? You know, they really do love giving the word of truth to other people. Okay, maybe they're a teacher. Uh, are they merciful? You know, they're so forgiving. I mean, how many gifts does this person have? That's not fair. They get, they get 20 gifts. I only get one. How did that happen? No, they don't have 20 gifts. What they have is the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is so strong in their life that on the outside looking in, you think it's a spiritual gift. It's not. It's the Holy Spirit's power and love and fruit flowing through them and evidencing itself almost as if it was a gift. That, I believe that very strongly. And so the more mature you are as a Christian, the further along you are in your spiritual growth, the closer you are connected to Christ, the, the, the fuzzier the line is when it comes to what are my gifts and what are not my gifts? Like even the person, like if they took, and we're going to have a spiritual gift test later. You'll take that test and like, man, I've got, I've got like high numbers in all these, but certainly they're not all my gifts. Like I can do all these, you know, they come natural to me, but they're not all my gifts. No, they're not. They're supernatural to you because you're walking in the Spirit and you have the fruit of the Spirit. But those who are further from Christ, less mature in their faith, they, obviously at a certain point, if you're running from God altogether, you probably won't see any of the gifts, Right? But if you're, if you're close enough where the gifts are there, but you're still, you know, weak in the faith, struggling, your gifts are going to be more defined because you know what's going to happen? You take that same test, you're going to have high numbers of the gifts and everything else is going to be really low. <laughs> because if you're not connected to Christ and you're not a giver, you're going to struggle giving and you probably won't give at all and you'll know that. And if you're not connected to the Holy Spirit, it's going to be very hard for you to be merciful and you probably know that. Although you're an encourager, it's hard to be forgiving to those who've hurt you. So the lines are more distinct, sharper, much further separated if you're further from Christ. But the closer you are to Christ, the more blurred those lines are from fruit to gift. And people will look at you and just say, wow, you know, you're just like, it's like I see all these things evidenced in you. Yeah, that's Christ. Praise the Lord for that. That's what, that's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. So I'll end with this. I do believe that once you're saved, you have a gift. God gives you at least one, which means you are a natural at something in a sense of supernatural, right? At something you're a natural at. You don't have to work hard at it. It just comes to you easily because God gave that to you. It's like when you were a kid and you played sports and you, you tried very hard and some of those other kids who mispracticed on a regular basis showed up played the game, played way better than you did, and you were at every practice, and it just made you angry because they're just so good at what they do, and they don't even have to try hard at it. But think about what that player could have been if they actually showed up at every practice. How much better could they have been? But there's a lot of Christians who say, man, I'm just good at this. I don't have to try. And, and they're okay with that, and they have no desire to enhance that or to grow in the other areas. And so, yeah. There will be a very distinct line. I believe that even those who are immature in the faith are still going to have a spiritual gift and can probably still do at least one thing very well. So here's my concern. What if that gift is preaching? And and I've told you before, I'm not bashing pastors. That's not my goal. But because I am a pastor, that's my world. That's my life. Those are where most of my illustrations come from because that's what I know most. 
I have nothing against pastors. I love pastors. I praise the Lord for strong men of God who stand up for truth. But it is the world I live in, and I see, I see the darkness of it. So if your spiritual gift is preaching, what does that mean? It means you do it very well, and it comes very easy to you. And you know what the danger is? Christians think because he's a good preacher, automatically, what do they think? He's a godly man. But that would be the same about saying because he or she is such a great giver, they're a godly Christian. Well, we know that can't be true. That would be the same as saying, oh, because they come to church earlier than everyone else and clean the building every Sunday, they're such a godly person. Well, that's, that's not true. And yet we've had it in our heads that if someone gets up and preaches the word of God in a way that the truth just makes sense to us, and we are called to action, and we think only someone who walks close to God could have that powerful of preaching. Well, again, you're lacking truth. No, the person's just gifted. Yeah, but they're gifted because they walk with the Spirit, right? No, because they're gifted because they're saved, (laughs) as we all are gifted because we're saved. I believe there are a lot of people who are very good preachers and are not walking with the Lord. You say, well, how would we know? (laughs) Well, don't look at their, don't evaluate them through their gift. (laughs) Evaluate them through their spiritual condition. Even 1 Timothy chapter 3, it does say apt to teach. Teaching is a requirement of it. But even the Apostle Paul, as he's saying, Timothy, as you're choosing spiritual leaders, don't just say, are they a good preacher? And say, check, you're a preacher, you're a pastor. He said, here are the other things you must evaluate. If they're failing in these other areas, they should not preach. Well, they're really good at it. It doesn't matter. They need to be godly, blameless, Don't put them in a position of spiritual leadership if they're not walking with the Spirit. But a lot of churches don't get that. A lot of Christians don't get that. And they are listening to and following ungodly men who are saved. They're just good preachers. And their ungodliness is destroying the church. Don't evaluate someone through their gift, guys. It comes easy to them. Don't evaluate a gifted basketball player and all aspects of their character and life because they're good at basketball. No, look at how they act when they lose. Look at how they treat their teammates. Look at how they treat their parents. That's how you evaluate someone, through their character, not through their gift, what comes easy to them. And so don't evaluate me based off of what comes easy to me. Evaluate me through my character. If you're going to do some evaluation, that's what you should do. That's how we should evaluate others, through their character. Let's pray.